Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning to those of you who are just joining us for this uh, second hour. Uh, So I am reading a new Axios Ipsos coronavirus index poll indicating that nearly half of Americans say that they have established a social bubble of people who they regard as trustworthy in the midst of the virus. So seeking to create their own comfort zone and a sense of control in the midst of of a time when things seem desperately out of control. More than 47% of Americans uh, say that they have established a social bubble in which they are exclusively now operating. Um, And when asked why, uh, many of the answers are about grappling with the reality that the virus is not going away anytime soon, and they want to control as much as they can uh, about who with whom they engage and uh, to whom they are exposed. So 46% of those surveyed say they know someone who has tested positive for COVID. I I would certainly be in that group. I would be a part of that percentage. 18% say they know someone who has died. Um, uh, I don't know that the term know there is sufficiently defined um, for me to be able to say to you whether or not uh, I would be in or out of that group. You know, uh, knowledge is wide these days in terms of knowing someone who has died. If you're talking about uh, someone within my very near sphere or circle of uh, of life and influence, then no, I do not personally know someone uh, who's, let's say, whose funeral I would have ordinarily attended had we not been in a COVID-19 uh, situation. I then do not, I would not include myself in the percentage of Americans who know someone at that depth and level uh, who has died because of the coronavirus. Um, and it, this is an interesting um, interesting breakdown in terms of who who are the people who have created these social bubbles in which they are now operating. Slightly higher among college-educated suburban women over 65. So statistically, those who are listening to Mornings with Carmen. Statistically, that's that's who's listening right now college-educated suburban women over 65. And so my guess is that if you're listening, um, you have a social bubble that you have created. And here's what I want you to think about for just a moment. Um, Were you already living in a social bubble? Like, I think part of this is a survey reflecting American reality anyway, that many, many, many people already live in fairly small networks of social interaction. That the number of people to whom any of us are uh, exposed on a regular basis um, in terms of the the rhythm of our daily life, particularly if we are college-educated suburban women over 65, um, it's a pretty limited circle already. So this is um, uh, 
I think a conversation that we want to have when we start considering the social and spiritual risk of this kind of intentional isolationism, silos of any particular variety are just not healthy. A socioeconomic silo is not healthy. Um, a silo of relationships in terms of the color of your skin or your um, educational level or even your faith. Silos of, uh, of isolation intentionally crafted and created that we would live within, um, thought bubbles, experience bubbles, those are, those are not particularly helpful. Um, and then uh, I want to just express to you that um, there are things that require us to break out of our bubble, like the command of Christ to go and make disciples. Um, if we're going to go and make disciples, then we're going to have to, at some point, um, reach outside the bubble of our own uh, very small sphere of influence, as, as safe and, and cocoon-like as that may be. All right. Hurricane Hannah hit the Texas coast over the weekend. Uh, that is testing uh, the response efforts in states where the outbreak is definitely not under control. Texas, Florida, and Louisiana, all Gulf Coast states, all prone to hurricanes, um, all also experiencing skyrocket caseloads, skyrocketing caseloads in terms of the coronavirus. So just want you to think for a moment, uh, you know, our, our response to hurricanes approaching the coast is that we tell people to leave their homes and go gather together. Go gather together. Stay with somebody else. Uh, join with a, a crowd of people that you don't know in a gymnasium or a convention center. Not exactly in line with pandemic mitigation practices. So I expect us during hurricane season and then also with the spiking number of coronavirus cases to get to have lots of opportunities about putting ourselves at risk for the benefit and welfare of others. So there you go. I expect that conversation to be forthcoming. Yesterday, services for John Lewis were carried live for more than four hours across all media uh, networks. Up next, Justin Gibney is going to share his own reflections on the civil rights icon and this American moment. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Justin Giboney from the AND campaign joins us regularly to talk about well, the intersection of faith and politics and the expression of faith uh, through our political engagement. You can find him at the AND campaign. His book, Compassion and Conviction, is now available. We are giving away copies today. And so if you would like to enter to win a copy uh, of Justin's book, Compassion and Conviction, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Justin, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I, I would just love to just open um, open up this opportunity for you to reflect on uh, the life of John Lewis and the life of C.T. Vivian. Yeah, thank you for that opportunity. I think, I think when you talk about both of those lives, you really have to point directly at the civil rights movement uh, and the way that people walked uh, sacrificially uh, to, to better this country. Uh, I think, um, especially as a, as a civil rights leader, uh, that uh, John Lewis was uh, someone who did, with, within a group of people, provide a conscience for America at a time when that was wanting, at a time when we were not uh, treating others as they should be treated, when we were not seeing others' people's dignity. Unfortunately, it took people getting hit in the head uh, by bricks and attacked by dogs and water hoses for America to realize, at least in part, that it was 
uh, on the wrong, uh, going the wrong way. And without those sacrifices, without that Christian courage, uh, because we want to be very clear that that was certainly a Christian movement, we don't have some of the changes that we've seen. And I think he's laid out a path and a framework uh, for us today because we're still dealing with some issues that we really need to address. And I hope it doesn't get to the point where, you know, the, the same type of uh, atrocities have to happen for us to see uh, that we need to change and we need to do better. So I think it's, it's an example that we can all follow at this moment. For listeners who don't know, uh, I mean, everybody knows who John Lewis is. We've actually talked about him um, a number of times over the course of the last uh, many days. Um, but there are probably people listening right now who do not know who C.T. Vivian is. Yeah, well, C.T. Vivian uh, is, is another uh, one of Atlanta's uh, civil rights legends, uh, was was a reverend, but also someone who, when John Lewis was getting uh, arrested in, in Alabama and other places, he was right there with him. And so he was uh, someone who was in that uh, that civil rights group. When you talk about uh, Ralph Abernathy, you talked about uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, uh, Reverend C.T. Vivian, Dr. C.T. Vivian was right there with him. Uh, and the, you, again, this was a group of uh, pastors and ministers who saw in the gospel uh, a reason to be courageous and a reason to fight for human dignity. And I think uh, C.T. Vivian stands for that, just like some of the ones that we hear more often. So, Justin, as this um, generation of civil rights leaders, you know, passes passes on, um, I think that they would all, in fact, John Lewis, you know, sort of famously calls us all right to continue to get into good trouble. Um, how do you how do you differentiate um, good trouble from just trouble? That's a great question. I think number one is the objective. Uh, what what are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to accomplish something that's uh, pointed towards human dignity and uh, reconciliation? Um, or are you trying to get at something that's more vengeant, right? Uh, but also the means that are used, because I, I truly believe that you could have a good objective, but if your means are wrong, if you're willing to, you know, if you're willing to imitate your oppressor, or imitate your opponent in negative things, then at that point, you're not it's not good trouble either. Uh, and so I think the objective and also the means to get to that objective are very important. And you see that throughout the civil rights movement, uh, that it was not by any means necessary, that there were ways of going about uh, getting justice that were counterproductive, uh, even if those you know, even if you felt like you were going to have to suffer more because you refused to do it a certain way, that was worth it because you were doing it for for something that was greater than you. So I, I guarantee you there are that is resonating right now with listeners who are trying to understand um, the very destructive ways in which, you know, some people are are seeking to. Um, I don't even know, force change, but, you know, for, force those who are in a position to make change to change. Um, and so, Justin, when we come back, um, let's pivot a little bit and talk about uh, some some large issues looming as uh, looming before us as a nation. Um, you and I have talked frequently about Democrats that we both know um, who are pro-life. I definitely have listeners who think that's not possible. Um, but I want to talk with you about um, this movement afoot uh, among religious leaders calling on the Democratic Party to moderate the party's abortion 
uh, plank in their platform. So that conversation up next with Justin Gibney from the AND campaign. If you are interested in entering to win a copy of Justin's new book, Compassion and Conviction, we are giving them away today. Just text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. So several weeks ago, um, following the death of George Floyd, um, we all, and let me just say, we all massively committed to listen and learn and read and seek to understand more thoroughly. Um, And so let me just encourage you to consider Justin's book, Compassion and Conviction, uh, The And Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. It will serve you in understanding parts of a conversation that I guarantee you, you have not been privy to in any other environment. If you want to um, learn to engage across the political aisle, uh, this will help you do that. Compassion and Conviction, the Ann Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. Uh, enter to win uh, one of the copies that we have here in studio by texting the word book. Eight, by the, let me just start over. Texting the word book to 877-933-2484. Justin, uh, tell us about this effort by uh, religious individuals uh, to call upon the Democratic Party to moderate the party's uh, position on abortion. Yeah, I think uh, the Democratic Party uh, has, has pretty much gone mad when it comes to uh, the abortion issue. And it's it's become way out of step with a lot of uh, believers and even folks who aren't b- believers within the party who just think it's a very irresponsible uh, posture and um, that they've taken. And so a, a group uh, with Democrats for Life uh, has uh, written a letter to the uh, Democratic National Convention and their platform committee basically telling them to uh, moderate and change their stance on abortion. Uh, I think this is, an, is important. Uh, as you said, there are a lot of people for some reason that think there aren't folks in the Democratic Party who are pro-life. That's not the problem. The problem is that the the big interest groups, uh, special interest groups, uh, and, and their them being well-resourced has, has kind of uh, had an outsized influence in the party. And I think uh, that letter um, was written to address that problem. When, um, when we think about the arguments that could be made um, to move a person in the direction of modifying the plank in a political party's platform. First of all, I, I just think there's probably a lot of people who don't even know how that happens, don't even know there are actual planks in a, you know, in a platform for a political party. You've been involved in that process. Uh, tell people a little bit how the process works and then how, how the decision is actually made. What ends up in that party platform? Yeah, so uh, both parties have a uh, convention uh, every four years. Uh, Within that convention, they're deciding not only who the candidate for the presidency will be, but also uh, what the platform for the next four years will be. And so uh, with that, uh, there is a platform committee that, you know, puts together the platform and, and, you know, that's later voted on by, you know, the the committee. Um, And so what uh, this group is trying to do is influence that platform committee within the Democratic within the Democratic National Convention to say, as you create this platform, as you develop uh, this platform, make sure that you you know you think about the fact that your abortion stance is way out of line with America in general. 
uh, and that it needs to change. Uh, I think there are some folks that think it could have even been a little stronger on that point. But I think the fact that uh, they're making their voices heard is very important because I think uh, both these parties, you know, they run into trouble when they get away, when they're only focused on the the loud folks in their base, but they get away from from the folks who uh, are really often a majority in the party that that want uh, some change. So uh, for those of you who are um, asking me uh, online and via our text line how to find uh, this letter from these 100 faith leaders, now more than that, calling for the Democratic Party platform to be reformed regarding abortion, you can find it at democratsforlife.org, democratsforlife.org. They have the press release posted right there. You can also find an article um, about uh, about all of this, um, I think at the Christian Post. I think that's where I saw it. Um, I don't have that in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that's where uh, I saw it as well. Justin, as um, as the campaign cycle, I mean, you know, we're within 100 days now of the presidential election. Um, both candidates will be, I'll just use the word, pandering to particular segmented portions of the population seeking to move voters in particular places, you know, where they think they can swing a vote. Um, we see we see uh, former Vice President Joe Biden appealing to evangelical voters. Um, what does that look like and how effective do you imagine that might be? That's a good question. I think that's a, a, one of the questions that a, a lot of experts are trying to answer. Uh, I think it, obviously there will be references to faith. Uh, you know, I think they'll, they'll kind of talk about uh, the language that's come out of the administration. I think they'll talk about some of the policies that have come out of the administration, that it's hard to explain those as compassionate and that Christians should see more compassionate uh, compassionate policies when it comes to the Democratic Party. Now, I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying that's correct. In some instances, it is. In some instances, it's probably not, especially we just talked about abortion. Uh, but I think that's going to be, you know, it's going to be somewhat of a, a, a faith based um, conversation. But just understanding that there are, you know, white evangelicals that are somewhat disaffected from the Democrat, from the Republican Party, uh, just because of some of the things that have gone on in the administration. And I expect them to be reached out to to say, hey, it's not so bad. Come over here at least for uh, November and then we can talk about that later. And I think that that'll kind of be the appeal. Whether it'll be effective is yet to be seen. I think as we get closer to the election, it's going to depend on how far Biden allows the left to pull him. Uh, if he continues to allow them to pull him leftward, then I think that's going to be uh, um, that effort's going to be in vain. But if he can stand up and be a leader and say, no, I'm trying to bring this country together, then I think he has a better chance. Always excellent observations. Uh, appreciate the conversation. That's Justin Gibney. We are giving away copies of his book, Compassion and Conviction. If you if you actually you know don't want to just listen, but you want to learn and you want to engage and you want to be equipped and you want to um, know what it looks like to uh, to talk with and not just about people who may be on the other side of the political aisle from you, but uh, Christians on both sides. This is a book you want. It's uh, Compassion and Conviction. We're giving away copies today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Justin, as always, thank you so much. Take care, Carmen. We'll be right back. All 
All right. Do you remember the uh, the got milk question mark got milk campaign? I think it kind of died off in like 2014 or 2015, but periodically it it still pops up. Uh, how about got questions or got Jesus? Those are some of the sort of T-shirts we saw campaigns in response to the got milk campaign. So I just want you to think for a moment about the got questions. Got milk? Got questions? Got Jesus? Got married? Got conflict? Next up, Pastor Tony Marita and I are going to talk about conflict and conflict resolution, particularly Christ-centered conflict resolution, something that we need right now for these turbulent times. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lucado. It's one thing to give grace to friends, but to give grace to those who give us grief? Most of us find it hard to forgive. Leave your enemies in God's hands. You're not endorsing their misbehavior when you do. You can hate what someone did without letting hatred consume you. Forgiveness is not excusing. Give grace, but if need be, keep your distance. You can forgive the abusive husband without living with him. Be quick to give mercy to the immoral pastor, but be slow to give him a pulpit. Society can dispense grace in prison terms at the same time. To forgive is to move on, not to think about the offense anymore. You don't excuse him, endorse her, or embrace them. You just route your thoughts about them through heaven. In Romans 12, 19, God says, I will take care of it. Let him. This is... Sometimes, um, you know, connections don't happen as quickly uh, as we might have planned or hoped. And so we're having a little bit of a challenge connecting with uh, uh, with Pastor Tony Morita. And we're going to continue um, attempting to do so, working to do so. Um, in the meantime, I, I'm going to do what is sort of affectionately known in radio as Phil. <laughs> right, Paul? Is that what I'm doing? I'm yes, filling. you are. So, um, so let me pull up what we call my pocket, and uh, my pocket is just a list of articles that um, that we don't ordinarily have time to talk about. And so, here's one leading off uh, in my little news uh, feed right now: um, How to pray for missionaries who have di- been displaced by COVID nineteen. So, this is uh, posted by the Baptist Press. COVID-19 has upended lots of plans from vacations to graduations and everything in between. The global pandemic has left few events and few lives uninterrupted. So one group of people that you might think about as being uh, profoundly impacted here would be missionaries. So you think about missionaries who are having to shelter in place or quarantine in their host countries. Um, Think about all of those missionaries who were expecting that sometime this spring or summer or early fall, uh, groups of people from the United States would uh, be going to visit them. People from their home countries would be making trips to visit with them on the mission field, to come alongside them, to encourage them, to uh, you know, to see what they're doing and experience it together along along with them, um, to bring supplies. Or missionaries who maybe had been planning on furloughs coming home, but who are in countries uh, where there are now travel bans in place. 
So there's lots of missionaries right now around the world um, in in places where they are going to be increasingly dependent on those host countries and people in those host countries um, in in places where they're already, you know, very, very isolated. So we want to want to pray for them. That's basically the appeal that the article is making. Let's be praying for them. Um, let's be praying for them for all of the losses that they are experiencing and all of the kinds of isolation that they are experiencing, that those of us who are here, although frustrated and inconvenienced, you know, our lives are in most cases not directly threatened by the COVID shutdown. Um, And I'm not saying that lives are not threatened by COVID. Please do not misunderstand me. Lives are threatened by COVID the world over, including right here in the United States of America. But the COVID shutdown for most people is not um, is not coming at the cost of a threat to to life. Um, pray for trusted listeners. Um, pray that these missionaries who feel very out of place, um, no matter where they are, right? Their home countries aren't really their homes anymore, and their host countries are not their homes either in many, many ways. So let's just be praying for them to have people that they can talk with um, and share with and confide in. All right. Tony Morita is now, has now joined us. He is a pastor. He's an author. He is joining us today to talk about his latest book, Christ-Centered Conflict Resolution. Tony, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, thank you. It's great to be with you. So um, it's wonderful to have you. Uh, this is a book about um, not just conflict, but conflict resolution. So let's start with just defining the terms um, when we talk about conflict, we're not we're not talking about every conflict under the sun. Um, what kind of conflict are you uh, seeking to address here? Yeah, I'm talking about the the basic relational conflicts that exist uh, in a home, in a church, in a neighborhood. Uh, you're right. I, I'm not writing to address uh, you know uh, quote unquote severe uh, conflicts that require um, major restitution and legal action, et cetera. But the, how do we live uh, harmoniously, happily uh, under our roofs uh, in our church? And so trying to describe uh, when it comes to resolution that, uh, you know, the goal is not to simply have the absence of strife. The goal is to have harmony, to have unity, uh, to have togetherness. Um, and so to do that, we need to avoid, um, you know, the common uh, pitfalls of uh, avoidance or attack and actually work through things in order to have that kind of uh, harmony. One of the things I really appreciate about the book, and again, friends, the book is Christ-Centered Conflict Resolution, A Guide for Turbulent Times. We are giving away copies today. Just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Peacemaking and reconciliation. We are peacemakers. We're called to sow peace. Um, We're certainly called to seek peace Pray for the peace of of cities and and work for it where we live. Reconciliation, we're ministers of it. We have received it. We are supposed to be agents actively pursuing it. Those are some pretty significant words, peacemaking and reconciliation, in your book. So why don't you just spend a minute unpacking them? Yeah, so I think when, when we think about reconciliation and peacemaking, uh, my mind and heart first goes to the cross. And so our our act of of peacemaking, our act of reconciling is um, really living out um, Christ in us, um, 
who has shown us reconciling love, as the gospel tells us that uh, we were in, enemies of God, and Jesus has brought us uh, to the Father. And so um, he has given us the, the pattern for reconciliation, and he's given us the power for reconciliation uh, by virtue of his his redemption uh, for us. And so we, we, we look to Christ. Uh, we look for we look to his example. We look to his power. Uh, we see how Jesus uh, loved his enemies. He teaches us to pray for those who who harm us. Uh, like the the lifestyle of Jesus is really uh, what we're looking at when we think about peacemaking. And when he says in the Beatitude, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. That's a it's an enormous uh, statement that we we reflect our God when we are making peace with other people. We're called sons. Uh, sons of God. Um, and I think it's, uh, you know, we, in certain tribes uh, in Christianity, we have uh, often very head-oriented uh, faith, but I'm trying to say in this book that we, we don't have a doctrine-only faith. We have a, a doctrine-embodied faith, and it's embodied in relationships. And so uh, it's one thing to affirm the essentials of, of the Christian faith, but it's another thing to live in peace and harmony and love uh, within the Christian community. And uh, I just think we need to see how central it is in the New Testament. And today it's a powerful witness to a watching world that's often known for uh, conflict, uh, returning evil for evil rather than overcoming evil with good. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I would love to see a, a reconciliation movement among Christians, uh, an, an ethic really driven by uh, incredible love uh, for one another. I'm talking with Pastor Tony Morita. He's the pastor uh He's one of the pastors of the Imago Dei Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. He's also a seminary dean of a church planting network. He's a husband. Uh, he is a dad to five. He knows what stress and conflict are like. He is speaking to it in his new book, Christ-Centered Conflict Resolution, A Guide for Turbulent Times. We're giving away copies. If you are interested in that, text the word book to 877-933-2484. And Tony and I will be right back. Now I'm a- Continuing my conversation now with Tony Morita. He is a pastor. He's also an author. We're talking about Christ-Centered Conflict Resolution, his new book. And apparently the people in Connecticut are awake this morning, and they are uh, much desirous of this because our text line is blowing up with requests for the book from from our listeners in Connecticut. So if you guys want to jump in on that, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, what what might be some of the common conflicts that the people in Connecticut might be experiencing that they would be looking to bring Christ-centered conflict resolution uh, to bear upon? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, I know they've had great basketball teams historically, but I, I don't know <laughs> what the present status is. Um, you know, I, I think um, there there are many things obviously that can cause conflicts. One of the one of the things that I I get at in the opening chapter is uh, the passage from James three and four. Uh, particularly in, in the first two verses of chapter four, when James essentially says that cravings underlie conflicts. Um, he, what causes quarrels among you, he says, it's that your passions are at war within you. And so often conflict arises when <clears throat> I don't get what I want. There's, I, and that may be something wrong that I shouldn't desire, or it actually could be something good like rest or comfort or food. Uh, but when something interferes with, uh, what you desire, 
it often leads to relational conflicts with other people. And so um, I think one of, the, one of the challenges of conflict resolution is actually looking at your own heart first before you uh, point out the faults of others, which, again, sounds very much like the teaching of Jesus, right? Um, and, but that's, that's a hard thing to do. We, we don't really like to, to, to do that kind of uh, introspection. We're, we're, we prefer to do inspection of others rather than uh, introspection of our own hearts. And so I think once we've dealt with our hearts and we've dealt with whatever it is that we're craving, we're longing for, uh, then we can go out and, and try to seek peace. All right, I'm writing that down. Introspection before inspection. That's, I think that's <laughs> yeah. super super helpful. Okay, so um, I had a recent uh, a recent moment with a person who I deeply and dearly love. I do not want to be in any sort of. I want there to be no hostility in our relationship whatsoever. I uh, waded into a topic where there's you know there's it, clearly. Um, a difference between the two of us. And um, she responded by saying, Carmen, most people, including me, are conflict averse. We are not talking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about an, uh, the aversion that a lot of people have to addressing conflict. You're, you're absolutely right. I think that's probably the majority of my relationships with, with people as I've talked through the years and probably my own tendency as well. It's, it's to avoid rather than to attack. Um, and I, I think you see this on social media as well. You've got some people right now because conflict is so, so prevalent in our culture. Um, people have just withdrawn entirely from like social media. They're just like, I don't want to look at it and, you know, um, I don't have to deal with it. Or you got people just going crazy, you know, that are in attack mode all the time. Um, one of the things that's helped me, and I, I write a little bit about this in the book, uh, is, is learning to see conflict as an opportunity. I don't think I've ever been really challenged to think that way up until, you know, digging into uh, this book, um, that conflict, if you really want to grow as a Christian, uh, you need to, you need to deal with uh, various conflicts because it's an opportunity for you to grow. It's an opportunity for the other person to grow. It's an opportunity for you to put the, the reconciling love of Christ on display, the peacemaking work of Christ on display. And so, while while I don't want any conflict, <laughs> the reality is I'm going to have conflict, uh, and how I choose to respond to it um, really makes a difference uh, in in my own life, in my own heart, and uh, it can also be a great way to minister to other people. So learning to see it as an opportunity rather than always see it negatively, I think is really important. So I remember a conversation, Tony, that um, that I had with a friend actually in seminary on this very topic, and um, it's kind of centered on Matthew 10, where Jesus is talking about, you know, what some people think about him, you know, that he that he came to bring peace. And um, while that's true, and that without Jesus, there is no peace, in terms of Jesus bringing, bringing the reality of the reconciling gospel to bear— um, it surfaces conflict, right? I mean, he says of himself, I come uh, not to bring peace, but a sword because I, I you know, I'm setting people against each other. I'm, I'm literally setting people against each other. Um, and a person's enemies will be those in their own household. I do, I do think that we have been raised to imagine that um, there's just this kumbaya kind of Christianity that that's just frankly not the reality in which we live in an increasingly secularistic world. You're absolutely right. I mean, you think about the epistles. We 
we essentially wouldn't have them if there would have been no conflict <laughs> for for the for the writers to address. Uh, you just scroll through the the various books. You know, you've got Romans, and he, Paul's trying to unite Jew and Gentile, and uh, he spends a lot of time in chapter 14 just how they should get along with each other uh, about what to eat, what to drink. You've got the Corinthians, and they're they got all kinds of issues, uh, it, and you could just keep on going. Like, um, we're, because we live in a sinful world, conflict is is reality. And even though we have been redeemed, we still live with the residue of the old man in our own lives, and there, that means that there's going to be there's going to be sin, and, and because there's sin, there's going to be conflict. Um, we shouldn't be surprised by it. Um, we we just need to learn to work through it. Um, you know, in Genesis three. One of the effects of the fall, God says right in the beginning, is that uh, man and woman will have conflict. Uh, and then in chapter 4, one brother murders another brother. Like it's a, right on the heels of, of sin, we have that kind of conflict and murder. So, again, it's the world we live in, and really the, the question is how will we choose to respond to it uh, when we have it? And so let's not act like it doesn't exist, um, but let's also not view it as something that's entirely negative. I think the way in which we approach people, the way in which we talk to people, the way we address our own hearts and humility is really important. And I think when you are in a conflict with someone, um, I think it's important for you to kind of take the first step of uh, uh, apologizing for offense. Uh, if you if you know of any, you know, to, to have um, kind of that posture of grace and mercy. And I think when you do that, it, you're more inclined to receive the same from the other person um, rather than going in with a kind of an attack mindset or um, in, in a condescending way or whatever. So I think it's, it's what we live in. It's, it's where we live. It's uh, in our homes. <laughs> you know, I, I, when I was asked to write a book, I went nine people living in our house uh, under the stay at home order and two dogs. And they're like, would you like to write a book on conflict resolution? I was like, I need a book on conflict resolution. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's been really challenging for me and good for me. I love that. If you also need a book on conflict resolution, let me recommend Christ-Centered Conflict Resolution by Tony Morita, A Guide for Turbulent Times. If you um, are interested in one of the copies we have here in studio, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Tony, what a delight. Thanks for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. Have a blessed day. We'll be right back. All right, so I want to encourage you to um, add somebody to your prayer list today. Find somebody to add to your prayer list today. In the last 24 hours, I have added Patrick, Nolan, and Ella. Patrick, Nolan, and Ella all graduated from the local high school where I live uh, in 2019. And I would say they are all now sort of in a holding pattern, waiting for the world to... Uh, become whatever it's going to become in order that they can become uh, what God has called them to become. So I'm praying today for Patrick, Nolan, and Ella. Who are you adding to your prayer list? Where are you um, encountering individuals um, who need to know the Lord and in knowing the Lord need the fellowship of believers to then disciple them? So let's go out there uh, equipped with the word of God into the world that he so loves and let us live in ways that honor Jesus that others might see the Father and glorify Him. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.